Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, for you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Father, we thank you for this feast of Epiphany, but more than that, we thank you for the reality that it draws us into. We thank you for not leaving us in our death, in our transgressions, in our sin, but for coming to save us, for sending your Son and sending yourself and sending your Spirit. We thank you for your mission, not only to us, but to those who do not know you. And we thank you that you sent a star so long ago to these magi in the east. And by that star, you drew them to yourself. Let us see that same light this night. And by your grace, project that same light. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Good evening. Welcome. It's a new year. It's a new you. It's epiphany. I'm so excited but I'll try to temper my excitement for your learning pleasure and ability. Epiphany is such a full feast, and it's a feast that is long forgotten. Christmas is the favored son. Christmas is the holiday with all the attention. Christmas got the nice car when he turned 16. Christmas got all the great gifts at Christmas. But Epiphany... Friends, church, Epiphany is full of the promise of God. Epiphany is pregnant with the power of Almighty God. Now, if only we were to look at this narrative, this story of these three magi, these wise men coming from the east, following a star, Coming to first to Jerusalem, then to Bethlehem, yada, yada, yada. You heard it. You saw the, did you see the wise men come down the, the center aisle? It's not normal to have Epiphany on a Sunday because Epiphany is always January 6th. You see, there are 12 days in Christmas. Yesterday was the 12th day of Christmas. Hopefully you blessed your house on the 12th night. If not, that's okay because Epiphany is a great season for house blessings. There's still chalk and liturgies out there. But now we start a new season today on January 6th, and it's the season of Epiphany. We've gone through all that time, and in this feast, 
we see the revelation of God. Epiphany is a word that means revelation, showing forth, manifestation. Pick one. Pick your favorite. But this feast is full of the promises of God. You see, that star led these men who were not of the people of Israel. Do you remember last Sunday when Chris preached on John 1? And John wrote that the the word of God, who was in the beginning with God, who was in the beginning God himself, that the word of God came to his own and his own did not receive him. One way you could interpret that is that the word of God came to his own people, the people of Israel. Israel was expecting a Messiah. Israel was expecting a king who was anointed, a king like David who would rule forever. Israel was expecting that, but Israel was not expecting that per se for the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles, you may say? Who are these Gentiles, these people? Huh? Well, in case you don't know, we. <laughs> yeah, you, me, you, 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 you. Gentiles is, is the word that the Jewish people would use to describe any nation that was not of Israel or someone who was not a convert or a proselyte. So because the star led these men to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem to the child, not the baby, so it wasn't Christmas night, it wasn't like Joseph and Mary were breaking out the eggnog and finally they could relax when all of a sudden, ding dong, what are these guys doing here? Where do these guys get off, huh? It, it would have been at some time later, prob- less than two years, because you heard, you saw that Herod, had, well, you didn't, we didn't read that part, but later on, Herod would have all the children in the region of Bethlehem of Judah, Judea, under two years old, killed. Why? Because he was not a, a true king, Herod wasn't. Yeah, he had political authority. He had authority to rule under Rome, but he wasn't the true king. But I'm off topic. Epiphany, above and beyond that narrative of the star and the wise men, the significance of it is startling to me. And so as I preach today, my prayer is that you would be awestruck by the gospel of our Lord Jesus, of this little one who came as a baby in this little town of Bethlehem. And Matthew changes it from Bethlehem Ephratah to Bethlehem of Judea. And he came and he submitted to the law and he was vulnerable and he received gifts from men not of Israel, but from another nation that you would be awestruck by it and that we would see in Christ is not only the revelation of the gospel, meaning we don't only see and understand the gospel, but in Christ is the realization of the gospel. The actualization, the the, the physical, tangible realization that in him, God has made for himself a people. St. Paul proclaims this beautiful mystery. Did you notice that we read more scripture than we normally do? If you're new with us tonight, normally we have a lesson 
like an Old Testament or New Testament reading, a psalm, and then the gospel. But tonight, because Epiphany is so pregnant with this power, I wanted all these lessons to be read at the risk of inundating you with words that would fly over your heads and that you would grow numb to it. Never grow numb to the word of God. So Epiphany is full of these things. It marks the coming together of so many crucial realities of God's mission of rescue for his people and for creation from hopelessness, from eternal death and separation from him. Epiphany declares that God is drawing to himself. And I want, to, I want you to hear that. That's how we pray here at St. Bartholomew's, that God would draw to himself a people here in East Dallas, people that are disconnected from him and from his church. But Epiphany proclaims that, that God is drawing to himself truly a people. And it began on this day long, long ago. Now, when I read about the star, now, and, and if you're really into science, I, I, there's a guy named Guy, that's his name, Guy, Guy Consolmagno, and he is the official astronomer for the Vatican. And he was interviewed recently in the Wall Street Journal talking about what could that star have been? Because there's a lot of theories and biblical scholars talk about it and astronomers talk about it as well. It could have been the aligning together of Saturn and Jupiter, which wouldn't have been seen per se because they were close to the sun, but the astronomers of the east of Babylonia or maybe Persia would have known about it because by then, back then astronomy was a sophisticated science. Less well accepted is that it was a supernova, a dying star, or something like that. But no matter what it was, God, in his goodness, in his mercy, manifested himself to these men by the leading of the star. And as he did, the star drew them to Jerusalem. They encounter King Herod, and immediately King Herod is suspicious He's terrified. He's anxious. He wants to know what's happening. And so we see, first of all, that these wise men call Jesus what? The king of the Jews. God's revelation to them, and maybe they had a rudimentary understanding of Judaism. Remember, to what place were the Jews exiled? About 500 years before, to Babylon. And what country took over Babylon and, and helped get the Jews back to Israel? Persia. So there were synagogues in Babylon. There were gatherings. There were places. There were probably a remnant of Judaism that these men may have had access to. And so we read this in Matthew's gospel. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So the wise men recognize him as who? The king of the Jews. We don't know if they were actually seeking to worship him, like worship, worship him, or if they just wanted to, you know, give him homage and say, hey, you know, there's a new king in town. The church tradition says... And that's why we had these three kings come down, is that the gospel 
had, had been revealed to them in some way. Remember what St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, that through creation, God's eternal power and his divine nature are revealed in a general way to all peoples of the earth. And so they know that he is king of the Jews and they have come to worship him. That word worship is proskuneo. Kuneo is the Greek infinitive to kiss. Pros means towards, in a a moving towards kind of way. Proskuneo. They came to fall down before him, to kiss towards him, to give him worship. Bedag. Does anybody know what BDAG is? Do I hear any knowing chuckles out there? This is what BDAG has to say about proskuneo. To express, it's a dictionary. To express an attitude or gesture, one's complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. To fall down on worship, to do obeisance to, to prostrate oneself before, to do reverence to, to welcome respectfully. I love that to express one's complete dependence on or submission to a higher authority. So these men acknowledge that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And maybe they're moving towards this posture of worship where they're expressing complete dependence upon him. So in Epiphany, Jesus is revealed, manifest, not just to Israel, but to these guys from the east, as king of the Jews. He's also revealed, he's also manifest as Messiah. What does Messiah mean? It means the anointed one. Christ is the way we say it in Greek. The son of the king. We read Psalm 72. It was a psalm about Solomon, who was David's son. Solomon was called the anointed one. The son of the king. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And so in Epiphany, we see Jesus as the anointed one. Even Herod acknowledges verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Uh Uh-oh, there's trouble. We know Herod, towards the end of his life, which this was towards the end of his life, became obsessed with royal rivalries. People that could take from him his power and his kingdom. And so, hearing from these men, Herod inquires, where is the Christ to be born? The anointed one. Herod married into the people of Israel. He's an Edomite. He's not an Israelite. And so, Somebody from Judea, of the tribe of Judah, would, would assert full right to that kingship. So Jesus is revealed. He is manifest as Messiah. Matthew goes on to say, verse 5, They told him in Bethlehem of Judah, Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We just read that a couple of weeks ago in Advent. Verse 7. Now notice. Notice what Herod does and says. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go 
and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word so that I too may come and worship him. We have this true king that creation manifests to peoples not of Israel. And we have another king whose authenticity is questionable. And we have these men who want to offer true worship, who want to express their dependence upon this king, this Messiah, this anointed one. So we have this picture of true worship. But we also have a picture of false worship with this false king. Now we know Herod was just using words to manipulate. We know Herod was just trying to get at this king who would threaten his authority. But truly, you see it's a picture of false worship. Because the fruit of that false worship is death. The fruit of it is to harm another for his own gain. Herod acting out of his deep and basest of fears. We talked about this in Advent. Herod cannot answer the question that John the Baptist posed to the people of Israel. Is God really good? Herod is afraid to answer that question. Alone, alone about a dreadful wood of conscious evil runs a lost mankind, Auden would write. Dreading to find its father, lest it find the goodness it has dreaded is not good. Herod and his false worship cannot answer that question. So Jesus is revealed as king of the Jews. He is revealed as Messiah, the anointed one. Even Herod acknowledges that. Where is the Christ to be born? But we also see that Jesus is revelation. That there is something deeper going on here. That it's not just that, hey, these really sharp guys from the east saw a star, came to Jerusalem, inquired. But that something deeper and bigger is going on here. And we know this because St. Paul, writing years later, would recognize and acknowledge and speaking to a church full of Gentiles in Ephesus of Asia Minor, just after he's talked about Jesus saving us, saving people by grace, rescuing us out of our death and our transgressions and making for himself a whole new people where the dividing wall of hostility is broken down between Jew and Gentile. And Paul's referencing this, this wall in the temple courts between the court of the Jews and the Gentiles. He's... he's re- Jesus has moved that wall, he's torn it down, and he's building together in himself one new man and being. But but before we get to that, Paul says, this is the mystery. What mystery, Paul? Did you notice him writing it in chapter 3 of Ephesians? He writes a sentence. It's probably kind of how I talk most of the times. He writes a sentence and then hyphen, and goes off on a tangent. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you know, yada, 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 
I love it. It gives hope to people like me. I'm just going to say that. But Paul goes on to talk about the ministry that he has to the Gentiles. And he says why he has a ministry to the Gentiles. Verse 6. Well, let's go back to verse 5. Paul says, I have insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And guys, we, we know that so well. We've heard it so often that it's kind of lost on us, the sparkle and the shine and the depth of that mystery. But here we see in Epiphany that Jesus is the revelation of this mystery, that in himself, Jesus is creating one new man, or what Paul would say later, the church. The mystery that the Gentiles are accepted, that they're partakers of the promise. What does partakers mean? God, we don't even use that word anymore, Jay. Well, the word communion, koinonia, mutual sharing, deep connectedness, that the Gentiles can have a deep connectedness to the promises of the gospel, that they can be members of the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. doesn't mean they're becoming God, but they're becoming members of God's people, one new man. So Jesus is revealed as the revelation of this. But lastly, on this epiphany, on this feast that is pregnant with the promises of God, we see that not only is Jesus the revelation of this mystery, he in himself, even as a child, as a little kid who had no power over anyone, over this little kid who was bar mitzvahed, who was circumcised on the eighth day, who grew up as a carpenter, who did absolutely nothing of note except growing in wisdom and stature, except spending some time in Egypt as a refugee, hiding from Herod. He is the realization of this mystery. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is the realization. So, this is probably not a great example. I was a music major. Let's get that out of the way. And we used to study Baroque music. And Baroque music used a kind of notation called figured bass. In figured bass, you had a staff of music, okay? You had a bass note. And then you had numbers on top of the bass note that said what inversion of the chord that was. Kind of like our band uses charts with Nashville numbers. There's a chord one, there's a chord four, there's a five, there's a six, there's a three, yada, 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 go on and on and on. So, whenever you play the music in the Baroque era with this figured bass kind of music, it was called the realization. The music was actualized. It went from stuff on a piece of parchment, written out with a beautiful quill, into actual music. It was incarnated. Does that make sense? And so... Jesus, in his being, as this little baby, as this child, is the realization of the mystery 
of God, that in himself he brings together Jew and Gentile. This is revealed on Epiphany. St. Paul says it much more eloquently like this in verse 9 and 10 of Ephesians 3. We'll go back to verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, Paul says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light everyone, for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, per, this plan was in place, but in the fullness of time, Paul would say to the Galatians, Jesus was born, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were held captive by the law. And Paul goes on to say this, in whom Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. In his being, Jesus does this. And it highlights the reality that, that Jesus, who was the object of worship for these wise men, who is the object of our worship even now, is also the means by which we worship God he is the means by which we have fellowship with God, by which we are partakers of the mystery of the gospel. He is the means by which we have fellowship with the Holy Trinity. Mind blown. And that's why we do this every year. That's why we celebrate Epiphany. That's why we fight for Epiphany. That's why we fight for Christmas. That's why we fight for Advent. That's why we read these holy scriptures. They're not just parables and, oh, man, that's a great moral. Yes, there's morals in there. Yes, our society will decay the more we kick these morals out of our lives. But they're also full of the mystery and the power of God that we will contemplate, that will be revealed to us one day, St. Paul said. We will fully know, even as we are fully known by him now. So let me ask you this, this epiphany. What is the object of your worship? I pray it is our Lord Jesus Christ, the baby born in Bethlehem, the child who was reared by Joseph and Mary, the man who lived in Galilee, who died in Jerusalem, who was raised again, who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, who even now intercedes for us. Let him be the object of your worship. Let him be the means of your worship. And be overcome by the mystery of his appearing this epiphany. Let us pray. God, we are overcome. We are overwhelmed. But we confess we are not without praise for you. In the same way that these wise men fell before you to offer you their gifts and to express their complete dependence upon you, the highest authority. We do the same. Lord, supremely, when we come to this holy table later for communion and we kneel before you, we express ourselves as surrendering ourselves, our souls, and our bodies.
Everything we are, everything we have for all of you. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate word. Amen.